0: Hello, hello, hello! Out there in podcast land, it's your boy Andy, your host for EAC Speaks, and I am more than thrilled to be bringing you this month's episode. And this month, we're going to have a little spin on what we do for our normal conversations going to be talking to a healthcare provider, someone who can help us as individuals. And even if it's not something that we can directly take on, I'm sure you're going to get plenty of nuggets because this person is one of the most awesome folks I know in the world. But I want to introduce everyone to Mackenzie Davis. Say hey, Mackenzie.
1: Hey, y'all. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely, Mackenzie. Now, you are our first provider that we have it on the show, so we're so excited, so thrilled to have you.
1: Well, I feel quite okay, now. Well, look at that.
0: <laughs> so tell us, Mackenzie, what is it that you do? What um, kind of work are you into?
1: Absolutely. Well, um, I am a social worker, but I always tell people I do not work for DHS or DCFS, I have um, my master's in social work, and more specifically, um, I'm a licensed certified social worker, which really makes me dope, in my opinion. So there's that. Um, And I do multiple different functions under that, um, which include what I consider to be true social work, but I'm also a therapist.
0: Okay, and a therapist, and you're also in Arkansas. One of the most I, awesome reasons we brought you on.
1: I am. I am. I'm originally um, from Crossit Arkansas. Then I'm, if you ask me where I'm from, I'm from Eudora, Arkansas. But Little Rock <laughs> has been my home since
0: 2006. So, Yes. And tell us, Mackenzie, how did you get into the field?
1: Funny story. It's actually my favorite story to tell because it's so meaningful to me. When I... First of all, let me say, when I decided, I knew I was going to be a therapist when I was in the sixth grade. My mom literally has journal writings of me saying that I was going to be a therapist and I was going to help people. Um, And so I went to Philander Smith College. I majored in psychology. The thing about it is no one told me that if you go psychology, you have to be a doctor to be a therapist. So when I graduated, I started working for an organization that um, worked with emotionally and behaviorally um, challenged children, kids. And I started working there as a direct care worker. And I met some very influential people in my life And they were the ones who saw something in me that I couldn't necessarily see in myself at the time. And they were the ones who poured into me and were like, Mackenzie, you need to go, you need to do social work. You can be a therapist with social work. This is what you need to do. And so I, they bugged me about it for probably a year straight. And (laughs) finally I said, fine, I'm gonna take the MAT. I'm gonna apply just so... Like, I'm not going to get in, so I'm doing all this so y'all will leave me alone and I can go about my merry way. Surprise, surprise, your girl got in. And I was not expecting that, but the rest is history. Um, But essentially, like, that's how I worked my way into the social work field. I got some hands on knowledge about it and worked very closely with social workers and their values and the ethics of social work matched who I am at my core and my own personal values. So it was a great match
0: awesome and it's so amazing to see the progress where you are now because you actually have your own practice right
1: she does she does um another meaningful moment in my life um because i i'm the owner of holding space counseling and it is um i I like to say, like, it was something that was provided for me in a very hard way, and it was just like, mckenzie this is your gift. This is your purpose. This is where I need you to be. This, this is why all of this is happening, because I need you to be in this particular space. Um, it's called holding space counseling, because throughout that time, um, a lot of people held space for me whether it was space and silence, space and physical touch, they held that space for me. And I realized like how important it is that we have people in our lives to do that. And so Holding Space Counseling was born, if that makes sense.
0: That is beautiful, Kenzie. I absolutely love that. So um, a part of the reason that we also brought you on is because March, and, March 10th, is Women and Girls, HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. And so we know that you primarily work with um, women. So can you tell us a little bit more about maybe your, about that population?
1: Yes, absolutely. I feel very connected to working with women because I identify as a woman. Um, I feel very connected with working with black women because I also identify as a black woman. And so when it came to my niche or who I was going to serve, that came very natural to me. Um, And so I just think that as a black woman, it's important that we're able to hold space for each other and The reality of it is, is that sometimes our families and friends—they are not. That's not a possibility, and so I wanted to be able to be a familiar face for the clients that I serve. I wanted them to look at me, and for whatever reason, if it felt natural for them, for them to see a piece of themselves in the person in me, if that makes sense. Um, And so, when it comes to working with women. Um, I work a lot with women's issues, um, relationships, in general, like adjustment, anxiety, depression. I I have my certification in perinatal mental health, which encompasses a lot of things under that umbrella, specifically to perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. we're talking about anxiety, depression under that, Um, trying to conceive, infertility, um, adoption, grief. Uh, I, even when it comes to looking at working with individuals that are part of the LGBT community, all of that falls under the umbrella of perinatal mental health that allows me to look at those specific things through that lens.
0: Gotcha. And that's a specific reason why you're also here, because we know that, um, your work can be universal under that umbrella. So we thank you for coming. And let's jump into the first question, Kenzie. So why is it important that we discuss men we're talking about HIV as well?
1: For me, it's important because when we, because the two almost coexist with each other. You know, we think about, for me, it's like when I think about individuals when they are diagnosed with HIV, that is a traumatic event, it can be seen that way because it is something that has happened that has changed your lives tremendously. And there's a lot of things that come with that that you're not necessarily prepared for or have any idea of. And what we know through research and studies is that people with HIV, they have higher rates of developing mood, anxiety, um, or cognitive disorders. Um, out of that, depression is the most common. In fact, it is said that individuals that have been diagnosed with HIV, they are twice as likely to develop and experience depression than individuals that do not have, that do not have a diagnosis of HIV. And so a lot of times, even when we talk about that, some of the medications that people take, it is actually, it can affect your mental health as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it is difficult to talk about one without the other, because in a way they kind of go hand in hand, Um, because while you are addressing with your physical health you absolutely have to take into account your mental health as well because health is health.
0: It's health. Absolutely. Health is health. And I absolutely agree because when we are taking care of our um, health and most of the time, the people who are in care are taking care of their physical bodies, but we also have to take care of our mental bodies. Our brain is a part of our physical body as well spiritual is our full self so we have to be able to take care of these things and a lot of times people have these misconceptions about therapy so tell me what are some of the biggest misconceptions around therapy for folks that you've heard
1: yeah so (laughs) quite a few and A big part of it, I don't want to say a big part of it, I feel like that might be an exaggeration, but an important piece is that a lot of the misconceptions that I've heard or interacted with, it has been within the Black community, which um, for Black people, like, this is all new to us. We are just being able, we are just now being provided with the space and the safety to admit that we go to therapy or even entertain the idea. So I wanted to lead with that. But some of the misconceptions that I've heard is like, is it will cure you. No, therapy will not cure you, but it will help you manage your symptoms and help you live a more qualitative life. Um, Because sometimes with mental health issues, or mental health diagnoses, it affects our relationships. So if we're managing our symptoms, then our relationships are different. They It hits differently. Um, you don't have to do the work. Ha, psych. Actually, in therapy, you're doing a lot of the work, mm-hmm. a lot of the work. Um, if you get therapy, you're weak or crazy. Nope, wow. that is not true. Yeah. Um, If you get therapy, to me, that means you have a commitment to yourself and your health. Mm -hmm. Um, It does not make you weak. In fact, there's a level of strength that goes with going to therapy, because you have to show up being authentically yourself. There's a level of vulnerability that goes with that. And a lot of times when you go into therapy, you're having to face some of the darkest parts of yourself or your relationships with other people that you've been able to avoid for a long time. Therapy is um, mostly talk. That is not the case. There is some talking involved, but you might have to read a little something. You might, you might, I love giving homework to my clients. It's my favorite thing to do. It's like, (laughs) before you leave, let's, let's work on this here. And some therapy sessions, like there's even power in just sitting in silence with someone. And that can be therapeutic because when you sit in silence, you're teaching that person to sit with uncomfortable emotions and know that they will still be okay and be safe. Wow. Um, Problems can be solved in a session or two. Nope, that is not true. Um, we think that we're solving those problems in those first two sessions, but in some cases, what we're doing is we are unloading decades and years and years of trauma and, and sadness and anxieties. And you feel better after those first two sessions, but that's just because you had a really good, strong venting session, which is not wrong. It's actually a good thing. We all need that space. But the work of therapy can typically comes after that third or fourth or fifth session. Uh, we think that um, it should be like only, you know, a couple of sessions and we should be fixed, but that's not that's not true. Okay. Um and then the last one being the therapist sits in a chair and you lay on the couch. I mean, you can lay on the couch if you want to, but okay. You don't necessarily have to do that, but I've been in spaces where I've done therapy where we're walking because that's the best way to engage the person. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked with kids that the only way that I can reach them is by playing cards or playing games or having them do Legos. The amount, I know, listen, I know so many card games now because of working with teenagers and having to meet them where they are. Uh I have like, at my old job, I had like a window sill of just Legos from when I worked with boys because that was how I was able to reach them. The testament of a good therapist is someone that can rise up and meet you where you are to provide those services for you.
0: Oh, yeah. I love that. So you've mentioned several different things that can be done through therapy. So are there different forms of therapy that people can go through? Yes,
1: the world of therapy and therapeutic interventions are, they are overwhelmingly a lot. Some of them are more outdated and others a little bit too new. Um, And I think that's why it's important to kind of do your research. So you have cognitive behavioral therapy, which is like old tried and true. It's all tried and true. You have dialectical behavioral therapy. You have um, acceptance and commitment therapy, which is my all time favorite therapy. I base a lot of what I do from that space because um, with ACT, um, it to, when I think about it, I think about it just holds the premise of, and excuse my French, that life sucks and there's not a lot of control you have over that. However, you do have control over how you choose to live your life every day and you have control over your values. And if you use your values to guide your day to day, then your quality of life is different. You're able to manage those challenges a little bit better. It doesn't seem as hard when hard things happen to us. Um you have brain spotting, you have EMDR. Uh, there are a lot of different therapeutic techniques that are available.
0: Oh, yeah. So when people are seeking these things, it's just asking the right questions, right?
1: Yeah. I, yeah. And I think it, even that is really collaborative. So on one hand, some people, they may have gone to therapy before and didn't get what they need. So they kind of started doing research. Um and they find a therapeutic modality, and they might actively request that. For yeah. example, a lot of like people, the the trend lately has been: if you have had traumatic experiences as an adult, you um, a lot of providers are giving EMDR or brain spotting to treat those symptoms and to help people through that journey. Um, and then some people they go into therapy, and that therapist might only offer like cogn- they might speak from a cognitive behavior therapy perspective and then collectively that's not necessarily what they need mm-hmm. but then there's also this level of where when you're in therapy sessions it's not just one thing that you are experiencing it's not just one technique that you're given mm-hmm. myself I pull from a lot of different things um when I'm providing services to people um and so I think collaborative portion come from is like when you're so you're doing your assessment piece. And after your assessment, if your therapist says, huh, I wonder if you would benefit from this or I wonder about this. So it can also be collaborative.
0: OK, I love that. So um, something that I also wanted to ask was um, just for common knowledge. Uh, for folks, is um, mental health problems? Is this something that you can prevent? Nope. Nope. Simple as that. Nope.
1: <laughs> Very simple. And there are some people that don't that go through life without experiencing a mental health crisis or need therapy and doesn't mean they actually need it or don't need it you know there are people that go through life and they're fine and they're happy but there are a a few things that research shows that kind of puts us in spaces of being predisposed to it Mm -hmm. so genetics is a big factor of that Um, family history is a factor of that and so there isn't a way to just to be to prevent it
0: yeah Yeah. I asked that question because um I hear sometimes folks say that it's a blame game. They're blaming themselves of why they've had to go to therapy or why they've had these issues. And like you said, there are many reasons of why um, things come into our lives. So that's why I asked that question.
1: And that's a good question. I'm glad you brought that up with the blame piece because if a traumatic experience happened to you, that's not your fault. That is something that happened to you. And you're having to deal with the fallout of it,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, and going to therapy to treat your trauma. It doesn't mean that it's your fault. It's meaning that you're choosing to take some of that power and control back to live the life that you deserve to live or the life that you want to live. And even on the second of court, like on the second part of things, if the person themselves have been the alleged offender of trauma there is no blame in that, in my, you know, in my opinion. Um, they take accountability for it, but even going to therapy, it's a level of, okay, well, I don't want to live that life anymore. I want to live a deserved and good quality life. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah. That's my So tell me this. I know there's no science or no um, matter of like, you got to do this. But when would you say is the right time for someone to say that they want to seek therapy? I think any time. And I
1: truly believe that Um, some people, they might. They might decide to go to therapy without having a big stressor happen, you know, just so that they can have someone outside of their family and friends to kind of problem solve with. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that doesn't mean that you, that it's a wrong time for you to go. No, you going right at the, right at the exact time you need it. Um, So I don't think that there's a right or wrong time to start.
0: Okay. That's I like that. So tell me, what should I do if I'm worried about a client or one of my friends, family members, co-workers? What should I do if I'm worried about that person and maybe they should seek therapy or I think they should?
1: When you when I when you ask that question, one thing that just kind of started to creep into my mind was is if you find yourself acting in the space of being a therapist to that person. Like Mm -hmm. they're calling you for every single problem. If you are starting to feel emotionally drained after talking to that person, then that probably means you're serving dual purposes. And you might want to say, hey, I appreciate that you feel very safe with me. But I also wonder, And you know, you just kind of gently ease into that conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. if you... Notice that the person, like if their symptoms are starting to interfere with their ability to interact with others or do their activities or daily living, um, such as like hygiene, being able to go to work, um, being able to go out and have fun, um, you might want to kind of talk to them and, and voice the concerns in a supportive and loving manner.
0: Mm, I love that. Being supportive and loving is, they're two of the words that I love when I'm thinking about when I want someone to hold space for me or when I'm holding space for someone else. Those are two of the words that I absolutely love to present and to be presented to me. So tell me, earlier you talked about trauma and that's kind of the word of the era in these days. Talk to me a little bit about trauma. What is that?
1: Well, yeah, because listen, we we are realizing that the way, yeah, we are realizing a lot of things and we are making more connections to how we will, especially like how we were raised and how it's affecting us now. Um, by simple definition, trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event that has happened to you, whether that is abuse whether that is crime or an accident. At the very basics of definition, that is what it means. There are a lot of different and with trauma it can fit into different categories and so you have like your acute traumatic events which is like just a single incident that's happened. So when I see that I think about a car accident. You know. Mm-hmm. Um chronic repeated or ongoing trauma um, thinking about domestic abuse okay and then you have your and even with chronic I might even entertain the idea of medical um of like medical under that I don't know I'm gonna think about it some more
0: Okay. okay. We have some revelations on EAC Speaks. I don't know.
1: We'll see. We'll see what comes to me. But the last category that it fits under is also complex, which is like exposure to multiple traumatic events. And those typically are kind of very invasive and very interpersonal. And so when I think about that, I really think about like sexual abuse or people that grew up being sexually abused not by one person but multiple people and then within that you add in neglect and you add in physical abuse so those are some of the things that come up when i think about complex trauma and even like bullying in school you know not having the things you need it's a lot with the types of trauma <laughs> um you have bullying you have emotional abuse physical abuse terrorism Traumatic grief, which is like when someone you care about is murdered. That's what I think about for that. Um, Neglect, medical neglect. Um, Where I work full time, I work at Arkansas Children's Hospital full time. Um, We are often in spaces of medical neglect. Uh, Sex trafficking. All of those things are like, those are all different types of trauma that a person persons might, um, experience. Okay.
0: So, um, one thing that I learned about a few years ago, um, is trauma from someone else, like receiving trauma, right? So what kind of trauma do you think someone working on the front lines of HIV could face?
1: I think that they might, um, and I don't know if it's the same as like vicarious trauma. I think it's the same as vicarious trauma, but it's like when you care so much or when you have thrown your, you're so passionate and you put, throw yourself so deep into it that you really do start to experience some of that. Um, I remember um, when I was working at my last job, I really felt like I experienced some vicarious trauma because I would go home and have dreams about these kids sometimes mm-hmm. especially if they were having a hard time and so like I struggled with sleep and my anxiety was higher you know there were days I didn't want to go to work I would be at work for 10 to 12 hours a day and so I think when you're very passionate about something and you put your all into it, then you definitely are at risk for like that secondary trauma.
0: Mm, That's really important because a lot of times, like you said, when you're passionate about something, you do be there. And I, I remember working in direct services. And for me, it was always like, what if I miss the phone call? What if I don't? answer this text or what if I'm not there so yeah I remember those feelings and I do remember having like vivid dreams of folks so um what are some of the other signs or symptoms that you may see with secondary trauma
1: yeah and so what you might see is like feeling exhausted all the time becoming cynical so once you hear it so many times you're like oh my gosh Whatever it is, you know, like you just miss out on that caring piece, irritability, reduced productivity, feelings of hopelessness, like things would just never get better, um, anxiety, nightmares, feelings of re-experiencing the event, anger. All of those are some signs of it, some symptoms of it.
0: So tell me, um, you mentioned productivity as a lack of productivity as one of the signs or symptoms, employers definitely want to be on the lookout for that kind of Mm -hmm. um, that trauma response. And we definitely want to take care of our workforce. So what can employers do to be proactive about that secondary or vicarious trauma?
1: So for employers, I think it's important that you see your employees that you have such a relationship with them, that you're able to notice the change in the behavior so you can be proactive versus reactive. For employees, I think that you also have to be in tune with yourself and also take responsibility for that part of yourself. Because while the work we do is hard, we have permission and we have every right to take care of ourselves through the journey. Because, in or like the only way we can show up for the people that need us is if we are actively and proactively taking care of ourselves. You have PTO, use your PTO, mm-hmm. you earned it, it's yours, take it. Okay,
0: okay, I am with you on that one.
1: <laughs> um. Make sure that when you leave work, you leave work. One of the biggest pieces of information I was taught, because when I was experiencing um, some of the the secondary trauma symptoms, um, a really good therapist colleague slash friend of mine said, Mackenzie, what I want you to do, and she said it just like this. What I want you to do, I want you to pick a spot on your way home and you allow yourself all the time in the world to think about work. But the minute you pass that spot, you shut it off. Mm-hmm. And that was such a game changer for me that I still hold on to it. And this this nugget was dropped to me five or six years ago, maybe even longer And so even with this new job, I have a spot, and every time I pass this spot, I'm done. Like, I'm done.
0: Yeah. And
1: so I think that helps alongside that and those two things. I also think, you know, recognizing, like, it's your responsibility, your self-care is your responsibility.
0: Okay. Now, self-care as being our own responsibility. Tell Mm -hmm. me what are some forms of self-care that you do suggest for folks that may have um, a harder time dealing with um, their issues?
1: I'm so happy you asked that because I was sure for me to say something. <laughs> because when we think about self-care, I we often think about going shopping, getting our nails done, getting our hair done. And that's not fully what self-care means. It's a piece of the component. But if you financially can't afford to live up to that lifestyle, is it really self-care when you do those things? Or are you adding extra to your plate when you realize how much money you spent? So self-care comes in many forms. It's setting boundaries. That is self-care. Self-care is knowing how much sleep you need and making a valid effort to get that sleep you need every day. It is eating three meals a day. It is staying hydrated. Um, Self-care is exercising. Self-care is spending time with the people that care about you, that you care about. Self-care is in some moments choosing you
0: I love it. So when we're talking about self-care, like you said, it's not always just the things that we can go out and purchase for ourselves because on our last episode, Deidre mentioned, what if you don't have it, just as you said, and it's really important to think um, of those baby steps. So even if you can't do all of the things that Mackenzie listed, start off small, maybe one, two, three of those things. Think what's feasible for you and your um, response because you don't want to get overwhelmed. I remember being or feeling overwhelmed and trying to say, well, I got to do all of the self-care activities. I got to set boundaries and do this and do this all at once. And my ass just felt overwhelmed. So Yes.
1: And if you don't have access to those things, then honestly self-care is even disconnecting from social media, Ooh. you know? giving yourself permission not to subscribe to the traumatic things that we see on TV or on social media. You know, I, we were talking about, I did um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in this space and we were talking about um, what happened in Memphis with Tyree. And they asked, well, how have you been coping with it? Well, my answer to that was, I am making a choice not to subscribe to watching the video or to really thoroughly engage in it. Like I know what happened, but I'm giving myself permission not to consistently re-traumatize myself every time a person, a black person is killed. Mm. And for me in that situation is my self-care and it's translatable in other areas too, depending on what you
0: need. Yeah, so it's being self-aware, knowing what what you need. I love that. So, Kenzie, tell me this. hmm Who saves the therapist? Who's the person that comes in as the superhero to the superhero?
1: Your own therapist? <laughs> 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 no, but I'm serious. Um, I, I... And I know this is an absolute statement and a lot of people may not agree with me and that's fine. But in my opinion, I think, I think that it's important that as therapists, we have our own therapists because we literally, I carry the load of every client that I hold space for. And not only that, but at my job, I carry the load. And I take that weight off of a lot of my parents that I work with, even if only for a moment. And because I'm compassionate and I'm passionate about what I do, it just disappear. It doesn't go away. And so I think having your own, like the therapist, having a therapist is really important. I think the therapist being like having like meaningful connections is helpful. Um, if they are if you're religious, having that relationship within your relate within your religion is important. Um, and just kind of knowing your limits and setting boundaries. I think those things all save us and allow us to continue to keep going. Yeah.
0: So we did talk about self-care. Now we want to know a little bit about self-care for you. We always ask, "Our self care look like for you?"
1: Well, lately, I would say um, spending time with um, my fiance and my bonus son. That's self care because, like, it's a it's a way for me to disconnect for a while and put my intentions elsewhere. Because I can become very involved with work, and I and if you know me, you know me. There is not a lot of time when I'm not working, <laughs> um, and so spending time with them it forces me to be still. I self care for me is also going to my own therapist and making sure that I make time for that and making that a priority for myself. Um, I take one mental health day out of the month every month, and that's mine. And I do my I, I do my best to. Hold steady to that. Um, so that also serves as self care for me. Um, there are times where I just disconnect from social media, um, and I also like to binge watch TV. I binge watch a lot of TV.
0: <laughs> Same. <laughs> like,
1: kind of my jam. Like lately, I've I have I've never watched How to Get Away with Murder, so I've been watching it. Um, it's a lot, y'all. Um, it's a lot. Okay.
0: Um, 10 years later, Kenzie. <laughs> listen,
1: this grad school happened. There's a lot of stuff that happened. So
0: oh you're right.
1: We made it though. Made
0: it though. <laughs> yeah, <totally laughs> right. So tell us what's coming up for you in the next few weeks, upcoming months. Is there anything you have going on?
1: Um, you know, I if you would have asked me this question. Um, a few weeks ago or December of last year, I would say that it would be all about, you know, getting my business in order and, you know, preparing for the next chapter of holding space counseling. But the universe itself has been like, mm Mackenzie, we're going to slow down. We're going to continue to pour into you. And so for me, while I recognize like, holding space counseling is very important and I am working on a few things there. Um, But in the next few weeks to months, honestly, it's about pouring into myself. Oh. Uh, you know, still holding up to my obligations with my clients and at children's, but I am absolutely okay with not taking on a lot of new tasks right now,
0: mm-hmm. just so
1: I can round up some of the things I'm working on, but make myself a priority.
0: I love that. Taking the space for yourself, honey. Yeah,
1: because the second quarter, the second quarter, I don't know what the second quarter is going to look like for me and holding space counseling right now, but we working. We going into overdrive. So I am enjoying the slow start of the year.
0: Yes, you better work. And maybe, can have you on once everything is coming on up after you get done pouring into yourself we can get a part of action so definitely keep us posted now tell me are there any remarks that you'd like to give any parting words for the folks
1: yeah um one eddie thank you for inviting me onto your platform and allowing me to take up some space um, to provide important information. Um, It's my first little speaking engagement of the year, so thank you.
0: Um,
1: And I would say for my listeners, one, if you have tried therapy before and it didn't work for you, try again. But also know that you have a choice. Therapy is like a relationship. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And let's just find someone that will work for you. You know, don't give up on that journey of healing due to one experience make sure that you are going into these therapy experiences with your own questions, with things that are important to you. Like ask yourself, what is important to me in the therapist? Like who's going to support me? And being vocal about that, advocate for yourselves. Um, For my people that are in therapy and they're doing the hard work, and sometimes it feels like exhausting or things are not getting better or you don't know what else to do, keep going. You're doing wonderful. And if no one has told you, I'm proud of you. But also be proud of yourself because what you're doing is not easy. But continue to show up for yourself. And then for my providers out there, y'all continue to continue to do the good work. Continue to do the hard work but also pour into yourself just as much as you pour into the people around you because you truly cannot pour from an empty cup and you matter. As cheesy as it may sound, you matter in the equation. And so have moments, give yourself grace to choose you.
0: Choose you. Those are some awesome words to part with, Kenzie. But before we end this episode, I want to give you a chance to Tell the people where they can find you.
1: Yes. So on Facebook, you can find me at Holding Space Counseling, LLC. And it's spelled exactly how it sounds. On Instagram, you can find me at, at um, Kenzie the Therapist. And that's K-E-N-Z-I. No E at the end of my name. And. Um, If I do offer, um, if you are just, if something I said resonates with you and you want to explore that, um, you can find me on Psychology Today under McKenzie T. Davis. Um, I offer telehealth appointments. I accept most um, major insurance companies and I do offer a sliding pay scale. Um, But yeah, that's my tea. That's my little spiel.
0: Yeah, you can slide on back, rewind just a little bit. All of the information, Kenzie. I want to thank you one million times for this awesome episode. So yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you for tuning in, and say ciao, Kenzie. Ciao, ciao, listeners.
1: The EAC Speaks podcast is partially supported by the Arkansas Department of Health through a grant funded in part by the CDC. All discussion is solely the responsibility of each participant and doesn't necessarily represent the official views of engaging Arkansas communities, the Arkansas Department of Health, CDC, or the U.S. government.